This is College Football Weekly. College football like you've never heard it before. Now, here's Will Chambers and Tyler Walji. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show again. To my left, as always, Tyler Walji, professional better. Tyler, what's up? How are you? Doing good? Feeling great. Yeah? Well, it was a pretty good week one. Dude, it was a good... (laughs) What do you mean pretty good? That was an awesome week one. I mean, yeah, it was an awesome week one. It's always good to open things up with all those great games in college football. I did pretty well with my bets. I'm a little sour about Florida State. (laughs) Yeah, I know you would. We'll get into all that, too. But I don't know. To me... Like you, you know, this goes back to a couple shows ago. The distinction between week zero and week one. That's why this is week one, and that <laughs> one, and just having Florida, Miami, and Arizona, Hawaii can't be week one because this is week one is like a feeling. It's more, but it's it's more than just oh, it's the first week there's college football. It's a feeling. It's that you know we had games every single day. You have a Saturday full of them. You know, if if you want to watch them all, what I did, what a lot of people do is I had multiple TVs. I, you know, I was watching two and three games at once. That's what week one is. Yeah, tell my bank account that, Will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, week one was awesome. I feel like we should just start with the headline matchup. Let's dive in. Oregon and Auburn. Yeah, it was a yeah. good one. Oh, man, it was so good. That game, to me, was like everything that makes college football great. You had like an all-time comeback from Auburn. True freshman Bo Nix. What a perfect name for an Auburn kid, too. Bo and did Nicks. you see? He's been an Auburn fan his entire life. Yeah, That's like, a pretty cool story. That was cool when they showed him next to Cam Newton, which it, ironically was the, la- it was the last time Auburn played Oregon. You had Cam Newton winning the national championship, and then he went and jumped up in the stands like Lambeau Leap style. <laughs> and there's little Bo Nix, little Bo Peep, like <laughs> right next to him wearing an Auburn. He's got a Cam Newton jersey on. How cool, man. Can you imagine like growing up a, like – you know, you're, you're a, you grew up a CU fan. I grew up a Michigan fan. Can you imagine then all of a sudden being the quarterback of that team? It would be so unreal. And How then cool would that you be? struggle all first half, and then you lead the charge in the comeback. It was crazy. He struggled mightily in the yeah. first half. He looked like a freshman for sure. Yeah, he did. And Oregon did a lot to to disrupt that. But, I mean, he made yeah. some bad decisions there. But overall, very cool right. story, man. Very cool. For sure. Yeah, Auburn's defense played great. Justin Herbert, unimpressive. I I felt I left very unimpressed with him. I didn't think it was necessarily Herbert that, that looked that bad. I mean, I don't know. So he's the type of QB where when people talk about him, like on TV, the first thing they mention is he's 6'6", and he's got a huge arm, and you know he's got a cannon. It's, and that's to me, that's not the guy. That's not what you want to hear about him when you're in a big game and the chips are down. Right? But I, I feel like the expectations are so high for him. I mean, if we see quarterbacks in the past who, who go into the NFL, and let's let's keep it for quarterbacks who we haven't really seen perform yet, who, who the Flyers are still out on. But, like, I think it happens way too often. The, the quarterbacks don't really look that elite in college. They, it, no one looks like Peyton Manning or, or, or Andrew Luck right now, right? Right. But, like, Jared Stidham, right? He, he didn't look great last year for Auburn, and he's doing really well with, with New England. Um, who, uh, Daniel Jones. Yeah, I mean, for he, sure. he didn't really surprise anyone with Duke, and he's looking. And this is so far still. We were the, the Flyers are still out yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right though. He's looked sharp. So, so I think that you know the expectations are so high right now. I didn't leave that game going. Herbert was the problem. I thought that was just Oregon being classic Oregon. I mean, right. That is just what we've seen this team do. So talented, get off to a good start and just blow it. That's honestly an Oregon slash Pac-12 thing. It's a reason yeah. the Pac-12 doesn't perform well in these yeah. out of conference. 
what are neutral games, whatever. Yeah, non-conference games. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not trying to put it all on Herbert. Like, I don't think they lost because of him. But when you're talking about a guy who's being hyped as like the number one overall draft prospect, and I know you said it. Like, there's no to me. I'm never going to be able to tell if a guy's going to succeed in the NFL because I've been wrong so many times. Sometimes I'm just it's so, so sure that a guy's so going to be difficult. great and he's not, or but, it's vice versa. But. It, Sorry, I, I don't want to turn this into a quarterback topic, but yeah, it's really ahead. interesting. I, I've thought a lot about this. It, it's not, look, if it were a science, you know, quarterbacks would be drafted correctly all the time. People miss right. on quarterbacks every single year. For sure. And Tom Brady Multiple. went in the sixth round. Exactly. Only like half of first round quarterbacks ever it's crazy. Like make it to like their second or third contract, right? Yeah. And, and I think that it, I mean, I. I think that it just comes down to like mental, you know, like you, you can't really get inside someone's mind and see how good they want to be, how hard they're going to work. It's so difficult to tell. It's like one of the hardest positions to, yeah, to project for how, sure. how good these guys are going to be. Yeah. And um, and like Oregon's offense, you know, it's kind of unimaginative. It was like the, the play calling was a little predictable. They have like a huge offensive line and usually with the team with like w- speed on the outside and at the skill positions and a big quarterback and offensive line that equals a ton of points. Like I just like, can you imagine what a guy like Lincoln Riley could do with Oregon's talent? You know what I mean? There's no way that Oregon's only scoring 21 points or whatever if if they have like a, a real offensive mind calling the plays, right? Is Mario Cristobal an offensive guy? No, he's a defensive guy, uh, and their offensive coordinator, ugh, I can't remember his name. This is his second year, and he was, I mean, people were calling him out last year for, for this kind of boring, predictable play calling, but they stuck with him. And I wonder, I do wonder if, you know, if, if that guy's going to stick around as the offensive coordinator. Because to me, you put, you give Mario Cristobal like a really, you know, one of these young and coming, or young up and coming offensive coordinators, they could probably light things up. It just seemed to me that as the game went on, Oregon couldn't do anything. I yeah. mean, I know we're going to talk about a couple other games, but that seemed to be a theme this weekend where the second half came and some of these offenses just hit hit a red light and they couldn't do anything. And yeah. so it was concerning, I think that Oregon didn't make the adjustments and you know how much do you put that on Herbert you know but and and I guess look if you are touted to be that high maybe you got to make some plays at the end of the game yeah um, it's just interesting you say that because and for those who don't know what Will and I like to do is not talk a lot about this before the show so we come on and give our give our takes and it's kind of fresh so I didn't know that's where you were going to go with that and I hadn't really put too much thought into that I didn't walk away thinking it was Herbert but Maybe with the expectations, you should. Did they score a point? I mean, how much did they score in the fourth quarter? I don't think they did score in the fourth quarter. Because what was the, the final score? They only, I think they only ended up with 21 points, right, in yeah. Auburn? It was 21-6. Yeah, so they, yeah, they scored one touchdown in the, in the third quarter, and that's when it seemed like it was like kind of over. At that, that point, it was 21-6, to six, and it looked like they were going to run away with it. And then, yeah, I mean, it came to a screeching halt, and you got to give Oregon or Auburn's defense a ton of credit. They played awesome, especially against that – I mean, that Oregon offensive line has, like, three guys that are going to be future NFL guys for sure. And so you have to give them a ton of credit. But also, like, Auburn offered up that game on a platter to Oregon a handful of times, and Oregon was just, like, refused to to take the game and put them away. Like, you know, it, it was definitely – you had two interceptions from Bo Nix, and, uh, and he was struggling. They, they really just couldn't move the ball early on. And it was like it was just ridiculous. Remember that uh, there was that fumble that Auburn recovered and ran almost the whole way back. Yes, and then yes. all they got of it was a field goal. And that's that's the thing is when you look at the stats. And I was kind of thinking that at halftime is Auburn could go into into the half and say we're playing the worst football we could have played. Everything's right. going against us. And they were only down eight. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, you you have to factor that in. And if you play that game over, I mean, Auburn 
seem like the better team. Right. If you play that game a thousand times, I don't know how often Oregon gets off to a right. you know is ever up twenty one six. Yeah, and you know it doesn't uh, reflect super positive for the Pac twelve, but to me it's also not that negative but, because Auburn's a really good team and Oregon played them so tough. And I'm not even sure that Oregon's the best team in the Pac twelve. So I don't think you know a lot of times when the Pac twelve loses a non conference game early. It's uh, it's it, the Pac-12 is like the only conference where you're penalized for losing non-conference games, right? Because people already view the Pac-12 as being weak. So if you win the Pac-12 but couldn't beat anyone non-conference, you might not make the playoff, right? If it's yeah, down to you I, and another team. Yeah, I team. don't think that was that bad for the Pac-12. No, I I don't think it's bad at all. And uh, I mean, obviously, it would have been better if they'd won. But I don't think it's bad. I, like if if I, Oregon I, can run the table, that will actually look like, especially if if Auburn goes on <laughs> and is a really good team. Yeah, that's yeah. actually going to be like okay, that's a good loss. You know, it was early in the season. It was really close. They almost had it there. What do you think about Oregon fans? I think the better Oregon gets, the more insufferable their fan base is for some reason. Mm. I just think they're annoying. I, I, I think I, they're I mean, loud. I don't every, think it's I think that every winning fan base is annoying. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, so they, I, I saw a Twitter but poll Oregon, that... Uh, Oregon fans are just... And look, I, I don't... For those who will get to know me through this podcast, I'm kind of ruthless with my I, I only really care if i have money on it except for it's for right. except if it's my cu buffs right of course go buffs big game this weekend but unless i have money on it i'm very indifferent and i'm i hate teams if i'm betting against them i love them if i'm betting on them, so on and so forth so right so when i was watching this game i was sort of i wasn't live betting i thought they're you know i mean can you imagine if you hopped in on auburn at some point that, that what value that would have presented exactly so this wasn't coming from any point of view, but I just think the Oregon fans, they, they just rub me the wrong way. Why? Just like on Twitter, you mean? Or like the ones you see on TV or what? All of them. Twitter, <laughs> TV. Well, the whole, I'm going to throw them all into one bucket. And, and so here's what, here. I mean, it's all, here's the thing. No one is ever saying, you know which fans I hate? Oregon State. You know what I mean? Like people just don't like, the fans of winning teams end up being the most hated. And this is proof in the offseason. I saw fans I saw well. Darren Ravel did like a uh, a big Twitter poll where they voted on the most hated, the most obnoxious fan base. And it came down to Ohio State and uh, I want to say Alabama. I think it was an <laughs> SEC team. And what it just proves is that people, people are tired are of winning fans because when you're a team, if your team is unstoppable, then you can talk all the shit you want on Twitter to people on the streets, whatever. You know, like you know what I mean? Like no one, no one ever says, "Gosh, those Rutgers fans—they're the worst." It's right. because they can't talk shit, so they don't. Except for like maybe a couple obnoxious idiots. But for so it's weird because Oregon hasn't had like quite the same sustained success. So I don't know they they deserve that kind of uh, of notoriety that you're giving them is like one of the worst fan bases but no 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 no. I, i'm not saying they're one of the did i did i say no that they're you, one of right, the worst fan bases? But you just you said you didn't like them and they were obnoxious yeah, that, i just think that, that comes from you know I, winning fan bases yeah i just think that they or the other like one they're better than they are okay so that's what <laughs> and this is one as a michigan fan i see it all the time uh like you know it, how much money the organs lost me over the years like they're <laughs> not a cover team i think we're finding out why you don't like your fans right now <laughs> right? But no, yeah, I mean, the other one, pe- teams that win, people hate their fans, and then teams that don't win the big one but are constantly being hyped up, people hate those. Like, I see so much hate for Michigan just because, yeah, they get a, a lot of times they're way overhyped in the preseason because they have a ton of talent and they have Jim Harbaugh who's like a super polarizing coach. You either like him or you hate him. Like, there's nothing in between. No one's indifferent about Jim Harbaugh. They either hate him or they love him. I love Harbaugh. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, like, perfect example. Obviously, I do too as a Michigan fan, but... People don't like that. And with Michigan, it gets into a whole other thing where, you know, I didn't go to school there. 
I'm a Walmart Wolverine, as they call it, where I'm not, you know, I, I didn't go to school there yet. I'm still a fan. So I don't have, what I do see a lot, I'll admit it, is that like Michigan fans love to be like, well, you know, your school sucks. Michigan's this great academic program. It's like, well, no one gives a shit about that, man. Like no one is rooting for. Uh, excuse me, yeah, Will. Uh. Like that's, nothing is lamer than when you lose and go, well, our our students are smarter and get better grades than no, you. That, it's like, that, well, you lost in the fields. Who cares? That's looking for something. That's right. grasping for stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's much. For sure. There's much there. All yeah, right. so Oregon fans. So what do you think? Like, what's the ceiling for Auburn with Bo Nix? Well, this year? Yeah, right. Like, what's their ceiling this know. year? Eight wins. That's it? Yeah. I could nine see them wins. maybe getting to nine, but I think that what we saw with Bo Nix is that Well, if we're talking not ceiling, gonna, I'll go nine wins okay. for ceiling. He's not going to... Take them to an. They're not probably not going to be Bama with Bo Nix, right? I mean, that kid no. looks he, pretty he, he's, green. He's another quarterback right yeah. now. Nothing special. I, I I don't have quarterback ratings for all what hundred and thirty twenty teams, teams yeah. whatever. But I would put Bo Nix in the above average category. Okay, right now. Yeah. I mean, we're saying right, right. now. And he's young. These he guys. definitely maybe he'll improve throughout the year. But yeah, they, exactly. they have a tough schedule. And it's interesting Man. to me that because like Gus Malzahn is like, did you see how fired up he was getting on oh, the sidelines? Yeah, for Woof, sure. He was huffing and he, puffing. He's Man. on, you know, he's been a coach that's always on the hot seat, and it's really interesting to me that he tied his wagon to a true freshman quarterback in a year where if they don't succeed, he's probably getting fired. Do you think if he if they don't succeed this year, he's getting fired? Because yes. I think yep. that. I think that before this decision, the answer was yes. I think that maybe as some sort of weird, and who, who knows? I mean, he could be out if they don't win. I think it's some sort of weird thing. Maybe if you start a freshman and you go eight and, what would it be, four? Eight that and, that yeah. maybe he has an excuse at the end of the year. Look, we started a true freshman, one more year with this guy. Maybe he's giving himself enough. But I don't know if you risk your career on the on the chances. That's what I'm saying. That maybe, it's, a, it's a big call yeah, to say, yeah, actually, I'm going to put all my no, money on this kid. When we, we, yeah, when you talk it because this is a career move. Right. You know, this is, when it comes down to it, you know, it's just like we say all the time with betting, right? If, if you really believe something, you put your money up behind it. That's what these coaches tell you every week. When they put the starting lineup out there, this is their job on the line. So, yeah, there's no hidden motives, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. I think Auburn's going to be pretty good this year, though. All right, so the next one we're going to talk about, the Holy War. So this was one where Tyler and I had a game on the bet board. And, uh, do you want me to do in the background for the Holy War, like some holy noises? or <laughs> What are holy noises? I would assume like ohms, like ohm. Oh, okay. Is that holy? Yeah. He has. Tyler gets the win with this one. So I was... Look, I, I've been really big on Utah all preseason. I still think they're going to be – I mean, I think they're going to be a great team, but I just expected this game to be closer because it is such a fierce rivalry, and it was for three quarters, and then Utah's talent just completely took over the game. They win the fourth quarter. They end up covering the spread. I noticed that you just mowed right on past the Tyler won this, and you gave like <laughs> a half a second credit no, there, and then you went I, right on past. Whatever, I gave you the credit. What more do you want? You're I mean, me I'm, get just, down and I'm just saying that you, you know. I mean, I can get a little bit of. I just have a feeling that that when you get some wins on here, it's all we're going to talk about. Though it's going to be an hour and a half of you know Tyler. You know, I I I swept you last week or something like that. Well, so. you did sweep me this week because the other one you had, uh, you know. But we'll, we'll touch right, on we'll, the we'll get there. again. But yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, that game was awesome. First of all, more games that a rivalry should do this, something that they did in this game between Utah and BYU. Both teams, and obviously you can only do this when they have uh, different colors, they both wore their home jerseys. So it was like... I didn't even notice that. Yeah, Utah had their red jerseys, BYU had their blue ones, and it looked awesome. It's almost like the, the colors just popped, like one of those NFL color rush games almost. 
It looked great. The environment was awesome. BYU, the, the fans were super into it. It was super close in the first half. Zach Wilson played like a young quarterback at BYU. He struggled. It's a uh, tough place to play, Provo. Uh, uh, well, yeah, but that, that's home for, for BYU. Zach Wilson's for BYU. No, no, uh, no. I'm just saying in general. Oh, Provo's yeah. Provo's tough place to play. Yeah, for sure. And the fans were all, were all out. Um, the first half, yeah, it just went the way that I thought it would go, and then Utah just took over. I mean, good luck scoring on that defense. Their defense is so good. I also don't have up in front of me. What were the turnovers on that game? Do you know uh, off the top I think of your head? BYU, I think they had two interceptions. Um, I, don't, I can't remember if there were other fumbles. Or but not. was it a story in the game? I mean, because I don't think it was like a crazy turnover game. No, if I remember correctly, why don't you get yeah, the number I'm up it there up right now? But what I did think was interesting is that Utah. I didn't know this until I was watching the broadcast for the game. That Utah quarterback Zach Wilson, he grew up, or sorry, the BYU quarterback. Zach Wilson. He grew up a Utah fan, and his dad played at Utah. So there's all these great no photos. <laughs> yeah, his dad and his Utah jersey. That like that's brutal, man. Because now the family. I mean, obviously they're going to support their son. They're being good parents, and they have all their BYU gear on. But you know, in that dad's head, in a little bit, he was like, "Yeah, Utah. <laughs> Utah <won. laughs> all right, I hate BYU." Um, look, I w- when when we capped this game, I thought this wasn't necessarily about Utah. I still think Utah's overrated, and I think this win actually adds to the fact that Utah is slightly overpriced right now in the market. I think this was more about BYU. We talked about Bronco Mendenhall last week. Uh, actually, we hit uh, you hit uh, Virginia bet right there, Bronco Mendenhall, yeah, their head coach. Um, but looking back at this game, Will, Turnovers was a pretty big, were, were, were a pretty big story. BYU turned the ball over three times. Three times. Yeah, okay. Utah didn't have any turnovers. Yeah, I would love to see the last twenty years in college football the stats when someone turns the ball over three times to none. So I don't care whether you're playing at home or not. That makes it very difficult. Uh, but yeah, Utah, Utah getting the uh, cover there. First downs also. Utah twenty-one to fourteen first downs. Utah really moved the ball well. But one thing I did notice is when they got in third down situations, they didn't perform well. Three three of twelve on third down. So yeah. when Utah gets going, first second down, getting yards, that's when they're at their best. But if you get them in some third down situations, they struggled. So again, not a whole lot of positives for Utah. Still an overrated team in my opinion. Uh yeah, I mean I don't. We'll see. Their schedule's pretty promising, and you're but, right. But but, but the, here, here, when I say overrated, I'm not talking about Utah's going to be a bad team. Utah no, I know. Could still I win know. ten wins. It's just game by game, week by week. They're probably going to be priced a little bit heavier because let's face it. You, everyone's talking about Utah right now. Everyone likes to bet Utah, and for those who bet Utah, it's just a common thing. I do it. You do. Everyone. When you start winning money on one team. You, you like that yeah. team, and you're more apt to bet them in the future. Therefore, the books are more likely to overreact. But now they're, spe- I mean, they they came in the favorite to win the Pac-12 South. Now with JT Daniels going out of USC, they're definitely the, uh, like the favorite. I think it'll take a lot for them not to get there. It doesn't mean that they're going to make the playoff because they might lose a, a game or two. But I say right now. I mean, I, I do wonder what the odds are of them just making the Pac-12 championship game. It's got to be good. Oh, I th- I agree with you 100%, but there's a difference between they're an, even an overwhelming favorite, even a 3-1 to one favorite, right? There's a difference between they could win or what's the price on them to win compared to their real percentage of winning. Right. So that's all I'm talking about is the value. I think Utah right now... Maybe Washington. They look pretty good, too. Right there, 1-2 to, oh, yeah. to, to win the Pac-12. But besides that, Utah is the other team right now in okay. the Pac-12, for sure. All right. How about that Cincy-UCLA game? Whew, UCLA, question marks there. Dude. And remember, before the season started, I think we talked about this on the debut podcast. Yeah. I was all about UCLA. I thought that was going to be one of my best bets. And last week, when you started digging in and seeing, A, how well Cincinnati does in week one, and how how uh, UCLA struggled in, yeah. in, in that situation. They're just a bad road, ga- or bad road team. Exactly. What, you know, I, I gave out the pick of Cincy covering the points they did. You did. And, that, and that's the reason why. It's that... Uh, you know, I put a lot into 
uh, trends, trends that, that take place over multiple seasons. And, and it's just like the reason why I'm not going to pick Michigan to beat Ohio State until they just show me they can do it. I'm not going to pick UCLA <sighs> to win a big road game until they do it. And they, they, you know, for them to open up on the road in a tough place, Cincinnati's a tough place to play. Cincinnati's a good team. Doreen Thompson-Robinson for UCLA, he struggled. He goes 8 for 26, 150 yards, two <laughs> touchdowns, two interceptions. And then on the other side, Cincinnati's defense was great. Desmond Ritter was solid. Okay. And, and they have a big game coming up this weekend, too. I have, I have a question for you, and you kind of posed this earlier. Now, it's not fair because Lincoln Riley is kind of like you know, a top three coach right now in the sport. Probably, I mean, let's say top five. Just to probably give us top a, three, but yeah. Probably yeah. to give us a top three, top five. So we can't always put everyone in those shoes. But how well do you think Dorian Thompson-Robinson would have done under, you know, playing for Oklahoma or under oh, Lincoln yeah. Riley? So is that about Chip Kelly? Is that about Dorian Thompson-Robinson? It's. Pr- I mean, it's got to be a mixture of both, right? But you're right. I mean, I'm not very high on Chip Kelly I right think now. You could, and it's been one either. Game, but you know what? I so this isn't a uh, this isn't like a you know I'm sure someone else has talked about this, but I wonder with Chip Kelly. So we saw this with Rich Rodriguez too, where. Guys that were like the very first coaches running the spread that were like revolutionizing the game and no one could figure it out. Now, all those guys have kind of been figured out. And I'm wondering, I, I, like Chip Kelly, including his NH, or his, NHL, his NFL career, he hasn't had a, win- Kelly was great he hasn't had a winning Jets. season in like five years overall a, a, as head coach. And I'm wondering if, you know, he needs his offense is you're no longer surprising anyone with a spread offense. And so when you had these guys that seemed like they had like the, you know, Michael Jordan's magic stuff, you know, the, the magic sauce or whatever. Uh, now do people just kind of have those guys figured out? I mean, now all the new offenses are like heavy RPOs and they have new wrinkles. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned Lincoln Riley. There's a bunch of these coaches that kind of have that are now like the new hot guys in coaching. And, I, I really wonder. I mean, maybe it's just that Chip Kelly needs better personnel in there, but I kind of feel like maybe he's just, people just haven't figured out. Well, I don't know. I mean, where would you rate UCLA's talent compared to Cincinnati's talent? Cincinnati, UCLA, I think UCLA's got better talent overall. Okay. I so mean, just look at their recruiting the last five years. So if that's the case, then I mean, it's probably not the players. We can rule that out, at least in that game, right? The first game, we can right. rule the players out. I mean, look, I don't know... This is one thing I'm always cautious about is, you know, saying that a, a coach should change schemes right. or start throwing the football more, things like that. Because, I mean, Chip Kelly, let's face it, knows more about football than I would, you know, right. than I've forgotten. He's forgotten more about football than I know. But I think that if you look at the results, like you said, he's not winning football games. He went and lost a game where they were what, three-point underdogs? So the expectation was for them to hang in that game, lose by a field goal or so. They only scored 14 points. This was not a good look for Chip Kelly. And it looks antiquated. And and again, I'm not going to sit here and say they need to start running more screen passes, so on and so forth, but the results aren't showing up. So something isn't working with Chip Kelly. And they've got to start getting, it seems, more creative. I mean... Eight completions in the game for a quarterback coming in with sky-high expectations. I put that on Chip Kelly. Yeah, and another kind of a troubling thing, and this has been going on now with Chip Kelly. It's kind of followed him for years now. It's not just in college. It was in the NFL is that there's a lot of stuff that comes out that a lot of players don't like him. Like his players don't – they they kind of see him more of like, you know, he's kind of cracking the whip. He's not – he doesn't have his players back. He's driving them too hard. And – that's got to be something too. I mean, you look at Clemson. Seems like those players would like run through a brick wall for for Dabo Clem- or for Dabo Swinney. And I don't think that 
you can really be super successful if your players aren't buying in. They don't want to play for you specifically. He, he doesn't seem like he's a player's coach. He doesn't no, even he's seem not. that exciting. It's pretty obvious he's not. Yeah, I, I don't think Chip Kelly is a very... He's got a pretty big ego. Yeah, I don't think he's a very... Uh, Accept it, you know. I don't think he's very warming, you know. I don't think he's joking around with the guys, having fun with them. Yeah, could, yeah. It's no, he's he's no fun. Will did you see uh, Wisconsin? They put up forty nine on South Florida. They beat them forty nine to nothing. Wow. So this is interesting because I think a lot of people uh, kind of wrote off Wisconsin this off season. Uh, you know, they had a bad year last year. I think they only I think they went eight and four in the regular season. Um, they. This is like the perfect spot for the Badgers. I think that like last year they had all the hype in the world. That like they were, I think they were a top four AP team in the preseason. A lot of people had them going to the playoff, and then they falter. And it kind of seems like Wisconsin's one of those teams where when no one's talking about them and they're flying under the radar, they perform better. And their new quarterback Jack Cohn looked really good. South Florida, you know, it's not they're not a powerhouse by any means, but they're not a bad team either. I mean, to put to beat them forty nine to nothing is pretty notable. It's not like they were just playing Citadel or you know, Old Dominion or something like that, right? Yeah, and then what was the spread on that? Like 13, 11, 14 points? 11. 11 points, yeah. That's a, that's a close spread for a 49 nothing game. <laughs> right. That's a huge first week for Wisconsin. We'll see yeah. what they can do. It's funny, They too. weren't on my radar, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And last week when we were when you and I were sitting down and picking which games we were going to talk about, one that I really thought about kind of picking but I decided not to was the Missouri-Wyoming game. <laughs> Missouri goes to Wyoming and loses. I, I did have a live bet on fucking Missouri that game yeah. that was awesome yeah because I think Missouri was what uh, 14 point favorites or something yeah, like that starting going into the game, that game 14 point favorites and look and, and, and the thing is when teams like uh, Wyoming are winning at halftime against teams like Missouri it's important to see how they got there right if they have long sustaining drives they're punching Missouri in the mouth the running game's working, the passing game's working. That's one thing, right? But what happened in the first half is they had two touchdowns over 70 yards, a pick six, and they'd scored 26, I believe, points. So three of those touchdowns, essentially all their points came on, quote, fluky plays. You don't expect that to repeat itself in the second half. Yeah. I think that Missouri kind of got broken down. I don't know. They didn't look mentally strong at all. They didn't no. respond at all. What, do you think it was more mental or lack of adjustments i think it was lack of oxygen so (laughs) honestly so people that don't you know people that live at uh lower elevation near sea level that haven't been in the rockies they it may seem crazy to you but you know tyler and i live here in denver and we've we've watched it for years the broncos always have a great home field advantage the nuggets have a great home home court advantage because of the altitude so denver they call it the mile high city it's at five thousand two hundred feet laramie wyoming seven thousand two hundred twenty feet so you're talking about an extra 2,000 above mile high. So that's that a real seem, thing. It's a huge thing. I mean, you're you're tired. You're sucking air. You can't get the oxygen in. It's a big advantage. And so I wasn't that surprised to see Wyoming keeping it close. Definitely didn't see them winning that game. They scored 27 in the second quarter, God. which is insane. Now, you, I know you were big on Missouri's win total this year. The funny thing is that because I think their win total is, what, eight and a half or eight? Eight. I still think they can get to nine. I, I do kind of see this game as maybe being more of an anomaly, and then when they go back home, they can get things rolling, that maybe they can get there. But it's but just that's a big not one. how you want to see your team start yeah. things off. I don't feel confident in that at all. I mean, right now, if I could go back, this is a good way to evaluate if it was a good bet or not. You know, most of the times, even when you lose a bet, don't take the result. That's a big mistake that people take the result is, you know, what happened. A lot of times, losing bets is the right bet. 
after seeing that, I am not confident at all in, in Barry Odom or Kelly right. Bryant or any of the reasons I made that bet. I, no, it, it's not very promising. And the SEC, I mean, this, uh, we did talk about that's Missouri's schedule. That's a bad loss Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we talked about Missouri's Mountain schedule West being favorable, team. but we'll see. Well, that was not a good look for Speaking of for bad SEC losses, this was one that hurt both of us, South Carolina, North Carolina. No! <laughs> oh, my God. That was... Uh, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I expected... Uh, Mac Brown to come back to North Carolina and kind of inject some some emotion and some fight into that team and take that. But I mean, they won two games last year, Tyler. They won they went two and ten, or maybe they went th- yeah, I think two two games last year. South Carolina coming in with hype. I know they have a tough schedule, but everyone's like, oh, you know, this is it's a team they should beat. And not only that. They, I mean, they were favored by 11 points. But everything, what, what I love about betting certain games is when you start stacking up information for one team and everything favor, favors one team. And we found everything last week. Uh, the, the experience on South Carolina's defense, the coaching advantage, the, the familiarity with the team. I mean, it's worth something being with a team for a certain amount of time. Mac Brown's first year around these guys. Right. The the freshman quarterback, I mean, everything. He was lighting it up. That guy was throwing all over the place. Everything was going against, in the handicap, everything was going against North Carolina. And then they came out and started the game well. I mean, right. And then, but then Muschamp had it was late in the game. It was a fourth and one. They're down, and he doesn't go for it. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't that, like that. At that all. was a horrible call. It's just crazy to me. I mean, for it'd be one thing for them to kind of scrape by and 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 be like, okay, well, we survived. We didn't cover, but we won. But for them to lose to North Carolina, that's that's a really bad loss. And I wonder now. I mean, maybe Will Muschamp is on the hot seat. Oh, after that kind of a loss, you figure. It's a rivalry game when you're right. supposed to kill. And they had high expectations this year. I mean, the talk in South Carolina was we could potentially compete for the division if, if a few things go right early in the season, oh, yeah. which didn't happen at all. Um, no, bad for South Carolina. Bad look right there. And look, I like them in the teaser, right? I like teasing the points down. And the reason I like that was because you're going through seven and three key numbers, but everybody in Vegas across the, the country, no one was on UNC. Right. Every sharp, every square, every everybody on that, you know, who was betting was on South Carolina for that game. And that's what was, was so frustrating. Probably a big the, hit for the, the, for the sports books. The biggest moving line, one of the biggest moving lines in the last 10 years in college football, it opened up at five, it closed at 11. That, yeah. Oh, that's almost moving a touchdown. Yeah. That is crazy, Will. So no one saw this coming, and man, that's, that one was tough. That's a tough one. So we kind of want to talk, because before we get into these other ones, that's a, that one was a tough loss and a bet you don't want to lose, but it doesn't qualify for a bad beat. Bad beats. And so we, let's go through, because you and I, I think you and I maybe see some of these things a little bit different. To me, there's a difference between a bad beat and just a, you know, a backdoor cover, um, and so a bad loss. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, obviously a lot of this depends just on who you're who you're on, right? If you're betting Auburn, you know, that's a that's a great win and maybe it's a bad beat for anyone that, that picked Oregon. To me, I don't think it is a bad beat for Oregon. I think there's a difference. To, to me, here's the difference. The Stanford Northwestern game, that's a bad beat. So let me just run through what happened at the end of that game if you didn't see it. So Stanford is playing at home against Northwestern and they are Six, six and a half, seven point favorites, depending on, on uh, where you got it, where you got the number. There is 30 seconds left. The score is 10 to seven Stanford, right? So Northwestern is covering. Northwestern has the ball with 30 seconds left. And obviously they're trying to win the game. They don't care about the, the point spread, uh, but they're down three. And if you're someone like me who had Northwestern, you're feeling great. And you're saying, okay, well, may- maybe they win here. Maybe they don't. Either way, they're going to cover. And 30 seconds left. 
Northwestern's got the ball around their own like 15-yard line. They drop back to pass. Their right tackle just gets blown by by, a, by an edge rusher, and Hunter Johnson gets like obliterated by two guys. Ball pops out, and then so the ball's rolling backwards towards the end. And there's two Northwestern offensive linemen right there. If they even just fall on it, it's a safety. They still cover because then it's only five points. But what happens? No, a, St- a Stanford guy uh, lands on the ball in the end zone, gets a touchdown. They win 17-7. That's a bad beat. Right? That was tough. Oh, my God. That's that like was... an all-time bad beat. Yes. And that's just because it happens on like one freak occurrence play. You know, sack, fumble, recovery, touchdown plays happen very rarely. And so that's a bad beat. But to me, the Auburn, if, if you're on Oregon, I – my distinction is I don't think that's a bad beat because you had the lead and then you just kind of gave it up. I don't well, think that's quite the same thing. I would actually call the Oregon-Auburn game a bad beat for the Oregon fans because, to me, defining a bad beat is all about percentages and how often does something happen. And the nature of how the Oregon-Auburn game ended was not fluky. So I think that the difference between them being fluky is one thing. But when you look at it, I actually found this. Uh, there was an article posted on CBSSportsLine.com. I think CBS Sportsline is one of the squarest public sites. There is just want to put that out there. I don't get a lot of info for them, but they did have a stat on there that was really interesting. And I'll bring it up here in a second. To me, it comes down to the percentage of how often things happen. And if Auburn, I guess let me, let me separate the difference in this. If Auburn were down six driving to win, that's not a bad beat because they knew they needed a touchdown. Auburn was down one and the spread was three and a half. So you're expecting them to get a field goal. Here's the stat. In the last three years, teams that have the ball in between the 35 and 40 yard line with under a minute left, 44 out of 47 opportunities, they've kicked the field goal to win. Only three out of 47 times a touchdown's been scored. So it's not the fact that they scored a touchdown. It was just a random touchdown. How many 35 yard touchdowns are we going to see through the year? Right. Tens of dozens. Because if that pass doesn't go, it's going to be a field goal. It's a field goal try. And so that's the same. And they scored that touchdown with nine seconds to go in the game. So essentially, what you're dealing with is still the possibility of missing the field goal. If you have Oregon, all you're saying is, Anything here but a touchdown beats me, okay. which is essentially under a 5% chance yeah. of happening. Okay, so, so maybe you're convincing me on this that's one. That's why a I think bit. that's a bad beat. Maybe it's just because I picked Auburn and had money on that game sure. that, I, that I feel like it wasn't, you know, it was a bad uh, bad win, you could call it. But if you have <laughs> but, a 5% chance to cover, you're right. and in the last nine seconds that changes, okay. that to me qualifies. So maybe that as a one's bad a bad beat. beat. Okay, so what's not a, a good example for one that's not a bad beat? Well, if you have, and this is just a generic example, if you have a team minus seven and a half and they win by a touchdown, that's not a bad beat right obviously unless yeah, it happens for sure kind of no, strange to like me that. it's about like the it you know if it happens on a freak occurrence play or like that where you're expecting a field goal and they get a touchdown but, here, but, but, but like that boise state florida state game that's not a bad beat no that, that, florida that state's blowing them out which obviously we were both heavy on florida state we both like them a lot and then Boise State just starts chipping away and coming back, and they end up winning the game. I'll take the loss there. I had Florida State. It was one of my better bets of the weekend. Unbelievable, it, man. It looked like the right play. I, I I tell you what, before I put my money on Florida State again, Willie Taggart's going to have to prove to me he can win in big-time football games. Willie Taggart in his career, and the reason, not the reason, but a reason why I felt like backing Florida State in Week 1, Willie Taggart is the second most profitable head coach in college football right now behind David Schott, Stanford. Against and the spread. Yeah. You're kidding me. And this goes back to his days at, uh, he was coaching Florida, I think Western Kentucky. He coached this, South Florida for a South while. South Florida, yeah. Western Kentucky. This goes back to his early days, so a lot of those lower level games. But if you look at him against expectations, he's one of the best. So, I figured it was a recipe for success, but all I saw is more bad Florida State that has lost me money the last couple of years. So, yeah, I wonder, no, that wasn't a bad beat. That was just a, 
Florida State blowing it. It's a bad loss, <laughs> yes. for sure. Yeah, they definitely blew it. But um, we, we hear bad beat way too often. I think you'd probably agree with that. People claim bad beats all the time when they probably don't exist. All right. Special thanks to show sponsor, Wise Money Sports. Go and check out wisemoneysports.com. The cool thing about these guys, you go there, you check out their portfolio, you're getting picks from multiple sports. I was on one this weekend. It was uh, Everton and Wolves, Tyler. Is that who it was? Wolverhampton Wolves. Over two, two, two goals. They ended up, uh, I think there was four goals scored in the game. Five. Three, two. Okay, there you go. Even better. So that's just a perfect example. It's not just football. It's not just baseball. It's not just soccer. Multiple sports. You got multiple betters putting their picks into the portfolio. So you're getting a conglomerate almost of knowledge. So it's really cool. They have lots of different packages you guys can check out. So go to wisemoneysports.com. Join the Wise Money team. Also on Twitter at Wise Money Sports. All right. Tyler, are you a uh, stock market guy? Love stocks. Yes, yeah. I uh, I invest um, a decent amount in the stock market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna play a little college football. Oh, stock I thought you markets. were asking a real question. I, I didn't know. <laughs> no, I just needed I to say. Oh, yeah. Well, let's play. <laughs> I love the stocks. Yeah. No, I do. I uh, just yeah. wish you would have had some Apple stock when you were a baby. That's all. Oh God. Or Tesla. My uncle got in on Tesla when it was Ooh, brand new. I'm nice. Jealous. All of, that of us one, should be upset at our parents for not buying us Apple stock as right? a baby. My dad got in on Disney stock too, and that was pretty early. Nice. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Disney's doing well. Uh, all right. So we're gonna do a little college football stock market game here. Stock up, stock down. So, Tyler, give me your first stock up. Stock up. You're not going to like this, Will, because every year we hear this team is stock up. Hook them, baby. Hook them horns. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, I don't like that. They looked good week one. Against I, uh, who? Who did they play, Tyler? Uh, Louisiana Tech. Oh, Louisiana that's why they look good. But no, no, no. Louisiana Tech. Here, here's the thing. Texas brought back the fewest amount of returning starters in the Power 5 con- in any team in the Power yeah, 5. they don't have a lot. That is an amazing stat. I thought that Texas, who traditionally performed so bad with Tom Herman as a favorite, would start, would, would start off slow. So because of how... Uh, Tom Herman's done as a favorite before because of all the new faces. Louisiana Tech, I know not a good team, but the spread was 21, and Texas yeah. blew that spread out of the water, which is by definition expectation. And they were up 21 nothing, I think, in the first they, quarter. I, I have no choice but to say Texas, if anything, are, is trending up for me well, right now. We'll see if they're stocked down after this week. <laughs> uh, all right, my first stock up, transfer quarterbacks. So this was a big weekend for transfer quarterbacks. Justin Fields, the Georgia transfer, is now starting at Ohio State. Can yeah. I tell you as a Michigan fan, you know, I hyped him up. I said a lot of good things about him before the season. Deep down in my heart, I was really hoping he would show that like he's not that good. Uh, he's really, really good. He had five total touchdowns, four through the air, one rushing. He looked awesome. Just continuing the heartbreak that I'm going to feel at the end of the year when he lights up Ohio uh, or Michigan and you know throws for six touchdowns. Justin, it's going to kill me. Justin Fields looked good. He looked super he looked good. Yeah, good. and then Jacob Eason, another former Georgia quarterback, transferred to Washington. Now they they only played Eastern Washington, not a great team, but he looked sharp. He threw for four touchdowns, and then the big one last night. So we're recording this Monday, Sunday night. Oklahoma versus Houston. Jalen Hurts, who a lot of people kind of had question marks, how would he fit into Lincoln Rally's offense? Turns out he fits in pretty well. Six touchdowns, Tower. Three on the ground, three through the air. Guy is a beast. I'm starting to think that Lincoln Riley has a good 
uh, idea of what he's doing on offense. Oh, yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, what's the, I think things are clicking there what's for Lincoln the number? <laughs> what's the number that an NFL team is going to offer him this offseason? Because if you're an NFL team, you have to say, well, I'm not sure take, what... Take I mean, over my team. I'm not sure what like the average NFL contract is these days. Do you know? It's like seven or eight million. There's I a think. lot of... And, and, and I mean, if you're Bill Belichick, you're making more, obviously. But I think the average one is like right around six, seven million a year. Yeah, I mean, John Gruden's make he's got a 10-year contract for $100 million, do you, for example. Do you know what Lincoln Riley wants to do, though? Do you know if he wants to coach in the NFL? Has he he said hasn't that said that, no. And I think that, I mean, look, he's got his dream job as far as college football goes. But with a guy like that, you do have to wonder, I mean, what's what's the, you know, I'm sure he wants to win a national championship at Oklahoma first. Let's get that out of the way. I think it will be tough for him to leave if he can't get them, you know, if they've been to the playoff, they've been close. If he can't get them a national championship, there's no doubt he wants that. But... Like, let's say things don't go right in Cleveland this year. Freddie Kitchens gets fired. And Which Cle- is likely to happen. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> Cleveland comes and offer, you know, gives him a godfather offer. Uh, he, you're going to tell me he's not going to take that job with Baker, reunite with his quarterback? Like, let's say they offer him, they give him the John Gruden contract, 10 years, $100 million. You think he's going to turn that down? No, I, I wouldn't turn that down. Would you do that if you were an NFL team? Would you offer him that kind of money? Like, yeah. Let, let's just use the Gruden contract as an example. You would? Yeah, definitely. And it, I seems, would like, it seems like that's what the NFL is doing now, going yeah, with those younger Because even if it doesn't coaches. go good, it may look bad from like an optics standpoint, but let's be honest, like $100 million over 10 years to an NFL team is chump change. It's like Freddie Kitchens looks that great right now. I don't know anyone who's well, we'll see. We'll excited, see how that turns out. But yeah. <laughs> excited about Freddie. Transfer quarterback stock up. Another one who looked good, by the way, Brandon Wimbush at UCF. He was only in there for a little bit. They pulled him once they were up, which was very early, very fast. UCF, they've got a big game this week too. So transfer quarterback stock up. All right. My turn? Yeah, go stock down. Should I go stock? Oh, stock down. Yeah, we'll rotate. Oh, I like it. Stock down. You like the... Shall I give that every time? No. Stock down. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Uh, USC. Um, just because they lost JT Daniels, yeah, you know, sometimes tough. stock up, stock down isn't necessarily in the control of the team. And JT Daniels, uh, projected to be on the upper echelon of Pac-12 quarterbacks out for the year. That's not going to be good for USC, who was projected, at least in my projections, to struggle anyway. So yeah, that one's really that, tough. But I just kind of thought of this. Does that give Clay Helton an excuse? Maybe to me, ugh, I don't know. The second it happened, the f- my first thought was. Bye bye, Clay Helton. Miss American I, Pie. I I think that he is gonna be. I mean, I just don't see how he survives. Yeah, it might give him an excuse. Maybe they let him coach out the whole year instead of fire him. You know, week seven on the tarmac like they did Lane Kiffin or whatever. It, so it, I don't want to make any assumptions, but it seems like winning has taken a step down at USC. It seems like USC used to be all about winning. Everything, you know, was well, about yeah. obviously the Pete Carroll. But it seems like it's just like, yeah, that's they're just, just like another that, average. That's, that's what happens when you average. when you keep getting bad coaches that don't really win games. But, but, dude, but, honestly, but, here's here's the thing. It would buy him time if there wasn't a coach like Urban Meyer waiting in the wings but to here, take the to take over the job. What other college right now in America, in the Power Five we'll say, what other college is a powerhouse like that that's a kind of a notorious brand that has done such a bad job hiring Tennessee. coaches. Tennessee is the SEC version of, of USC. Is Tennessee and on, they both on the hired level Lane of... Kiffin. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a coincidence. Uh, I guarantee you those things are related. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
look, yeah, people maybe aren't ex- – the expectations are down, but that's only because they've struggled now for like five or six years. It's been really bad. I mean, ever since they got rid of – they had like one good but, year with, with but Sarkeesian. But I'm not even talking about like expectations with the fan base. I'm saying it seems like even I'm – a, I'm a CU fan, as right. I've said a few times. It seems like the, the leash is shorter at CU yeah. than it's well, USC. That's, yeah, but the, the reason why, it's, it's the same thing. It's just like once you've seen it enough, we've all kind of almost forgotten what USC was because right. when Pete Carroll was there, they were a – like. You expect them to be a, like if they were if the playoff was around then they would have been expected to make the playoff every single year under Pete Carroll right and so once you have well, when you're paying people that much well, they better be <laughs> right yeah exactly so all right stock down USC yeah tough one for J T Daniels tore his ACL I think it's MCL too USC. I don't know much about their backup position I mean you have to expect they have somebody in there but not someone who I I just don't see any way they can you know exceed expectations now and win. Eight, nine, ten games. Back up for USC. He is a uh, probably a freshman. Let's see here. Yeah, I've got this because JT yep. Daniels was a true sophomore, by the way. So what's the backup situation? Kadon like? Slovens. <laughs> okay. Kadon Slovens is a true freshman out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. Not a whole lot, obviously. He hasn't played in any big time games yet. So that's what you need. Yeah. A kid back there waiting to get in the wings. Tough that's, one. It's always fun. All right. My stock down, my first stock down. Stock down. This one's tough to admit. And, and you know, Tyler, you said that I was only going to call out my wins and not yours. Iowa State, stock down. A team that I'm, and I still am, somewhat high on for the year. But they had to go to triple OT to beat Northern Oof. Iowa. And look, Northern Iowa, they played them tough, but. What's it, their mascot? Northern oh, Iowa. Uh, I can't remember. Look that up for me. All right. Um, yeah, so they they had to go to triple. I mean, they almost lost it. They go to triple over t- overtime. They ended up getting the win at home. Brock Purdy looked rusty. The run game looked terrible. The offensive line needs a ton of work. I still have a lot of faith in Matt Campbell, but to me, their stock is down. And at least they got away with the win, right? It's not like Tennessee losing to Georgia Southern uh, or Georgia State or whatever. They got the win, and that's all that matters. But if they want to have any chance at the Big Twelve, which I was, I've been, you know, I've been on them all preseason as one of my kind of a sleeper in the Big Twelve. If they keep playing like this, they definitely have no chance. What's their mascot? The Panthers. The Panthers. Okay, yeah. a lot of Panthers in Northern Iowa. Apparently. There are. Yeah. So, all right. What's your second stock up? Stock up. Uh, the SEC commissioner, uh, Greg Sankey. Did you see him celebrating after Oregon scored the winning touchdown? You mean Auburn? Uh, Auburn scored the winning touchdown. No, SEC commissioner, this dude was giddy. He's jumping up and down. He got some hang time, actually. Interesting. Yeah. I always kind of thought he was more of a Bama fan. Personally. No, I, I know. It kind of looks like that, didn't it? I know. SEC. I know. And so uh, look, uh, Brett McMurphy uh, got a captured a, a picture of it, or he actually just retweeted a picture of it. Uh-huh. So maybe we can retweet it, too, uh, on Twitter, at CFB Weekly. But it's pretty funny. He's... Uh, just celebrating like a little teenage girl there. So I mean, I'd it's say definitely a good one for the SEC. No, I'm absolutely. So I think uh, I mean, but look, his his airtime. I mean, you talk about athletes in the in the SEC SEC country. I think everyone's overlooking Greg Sankey as an athlete, man. Yeah, commissioner of the SEC. Stock up. He's doing a good job there for sure. They're raking in the raking in the dough. Uh, all right, my second stock up might be a little bit different than uh, than what most people would expect. The Pac-12. So, yeah, Oregon loses to Auburn, but they keep it close. They played them really tough. They easily could have won that game. Uh, so I don't – if they had been blown out, it would have been stocked down Pac-12. But they they looked good. Oregon absolutely could still win the Pac-12 North. Utah looked good against BYU. 
Uh, Jacob Eason at Washington, he looks like he's going to be way better than Jake Browning, their last quarterback. So Washington could be really good again. And, you know, you actually look at the record, CU beat Colorado State, Arizona State won. Their new quarterback looked pretty sharp. Obviously, a lot of these were against lesser opponents. But to me, the Pac-12 actually came out looking good after week one. I don't think that they came out looking bad. Yeah, I mean, I like the Pac-12. I've obviously been a Pac-12 fan for a while. USC, it's going to hurt them. But I mean, I think the one team that stands out to me is Washington. I picked them to go to the Final Four before the season started. And Jacob Eason, you're exactly right. I mean, he's on a different level. Yeah. Jake Browning, Jake Locker, they haven't had a guy like that in Washington. He's going to take them to the next level, which I think wins them the North, wins them the Pac-12. Uh, but yeah, Utah looks great. Uh, you mentioned CU. I'm still... We'll see this weekend when <laughs> yeah. they play Nebraska. But For yeah, sure. no, Pac-12 uh, definitely looking good. Okay. What's your last... Uh, your stock down? Start down. It's South Carolina. This is just because I'm sour. I had to get one more <laughs> shot in at him. Jake Bentley looked awful. Yeah, he, he looked, looked like really he'd never bad. thrown a pass before in college. Look, I understand the defense is going to do things to adjust. It's... I mean, you, you, you gotta throw the football. Get rid of it. Look, I understand if you're a freshman, right? Standing in the pocket, getting happy feet, holding on to the football too long. Jake Bentley was supposed to be the key on offense, right? One of the pieces that was going to help them get to that level, and he looked awful. He looked confused. He looked lost. No no, no faith in Jake Bentley. I'm selling my stock on him. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, mine one, my uh, stock down. Hey, but, oh, I had a joke written in here. Okay. Instead of Jake Bentley, we should call him Jake Acura. No. <laughs> That's so bad. Yeah. That's yeah. really bad. Okay. Uh, it's okay. I mean, whatever. You know, no. maybe someone out I'm there. trying, Will. You know what? My dad might laugh at that one. I'll Did you that. not hear the studio audience? You're right. This, the audience. We do record this in front of a live studio audience. See? Man, they love that. They, they do. They really love that. They really love me. Yeah, All right, what's just, yours? <laughs> uh, it's basically the same thing. It's the SEC depth. So, obviously, the top of the SEC looks good. The middle and the bottom of the SC looks bad. You, you mentioned South Carolina. Tennessee, they lose at home to Georgia State, 38-30. Georgia State dominates the fourth quarter. Jeremy Pruitt, you know, I know Tennessee's been just turning over coaches left and right, but it, he's going to be on the hot seat. They have to figure out a way to turn that around. You can't lose to a team like Georgia State. I think Georgia State only won three or four games last year, and I think they're a Conference USA team, already a bad group of five conference. You can't have that... Kentucky kind of struggled. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, they played Georgia, but they lose. So I kind of, you know, the top of the SEC, it's no doubt. It's awesome. They have, they're they they're the best at the top. But a lot of the teams that everyone was saying, here's why we have the depth at the middle, especially South Carolina and Tennessee, those teams, they look really bad. So it's not down for them. Yeah, I think it's going to take everyone to get used to the SEC not being so dominant. I mean, the last couple of years, we've seen recruiting really expand. Um, small schools are going into SEC country and, and getting some of these players. So, yeah, I think that we are, we're kind of past the point of the SEC is the only team. Now, the NFL draft still determines a lot of that, and clearly there's more NFL players there. But yeah, the, NF- the SEC does not have the depth that some of these other conferences do. And, right. and if the Pac-12 keeps improving, the Big Ten keeps improving, the ACC is a little down this year. But Big 12 is good, though. Big 12 has got a lot of good yeah, teams. Yeah, the so SEC definitely falling back. Yeah. All right, that's it for Stock Up, Stock Down. Tyler... We got week two games. We do. Let's get into it. Let's do it, Will. All right, first game, Stanford, plus three and a half at Southern Cal. Now, Tyler, I think you got a good handicap on this. Well, this this just came out like like 20 minutes before, well, about 20 minutes ago. Right. I mean, while we were doing the show, this came out. Uh, Stanford, KJ Costello likely to be out. 
Oh, really? Yes, he is. Okay, yeah, I know and, he got hurt. But here's the thing, Will. We can we can assume that based on what the line opened up at. Um, if if JT Daniels and KJ Costello had both been healthy, uh, USC is about a point worse than than. Or excuse me, Stanford's about a point worse than USC. And so USC's at, at home, so USC's at a home. four point line. Exactly, maybe, maybe three and a half or four. Well, with both quarterbacks out, this line comes out three and a half or four. If KJ Costello was playing, this line would be closer. To one, one and a half. That's what that tells me. So the line right now is still it's Stanford, three, Stanford plus three and, three and a half. Yep, Stanford okay. plus three and a half. USC the favorite there at home. Where I go in this game is the under. The reason is I think both quarterbacks are going to have time are going to struggle moving their teams down the field, and both defenses are actually going to benefit from this. Now let's face it, Stanford is much more apt to play defensively. They're built to win games defensively. And we saw last week, even though it was a a Northwestern offense, Stanford still did what they needed to once KJ Costello got hurt. USC, I have a few more question marks about that defense, but they're playing at home. Yes, they let Fresno State move the ball down the field a little bit, a little easier than I would have expected, than I would have felt comfortable with betting on the under in the first week. But still, that was a lot later in the game. They had a 17-point lead, put some backups in, and were really worried about that quarterback situation. So you combine all that, I think that the Stanford defense is really going to shut down USC with the backup quarterback in. I think USC's defense at home is going to cause some fits for Stanford. So I lean with the under there, 44. But the only issue with that is, Will, you mentioned you like betting on trends. I went back and looked the last nine times Stanford and USC played at the Coliseum in LA. The under is one and eight. If the over under would have been 44 oh, on games, wow. the under is one and eight in those games. And so they score a lot of points, these two teams in LA, historically. So I don't love bucking a, a trend like that. But you got both quarterbacks out. Exactly. So there's so, going to be a time to do it. Now is probably it, right? Exactly, yeah. So overwhelming towards the under there. It's just that one stat that scares me. So look, what, what I want to do is when we give, give games out, it's it's fair to let everyone know the, pro, the pros and the cons. That's what's keeping me off from loving this game, but I still lean, lean the under. What do you think about that? Because both starting, starting quarterbacks are out. Oh, I think, yeah. I think both offensive coaching staffs are going to approach this game more conservatively. You're going to get more runs, especially yeah. from USC. Yeah, the only thing... Yeah, I mean, I I agree with both quarterbacks out, but you ha- also have to guess that like the the sharps kind of uh, or the the books kind of uh, adjusted for that, right? Yes, and, so, and it's fair to note that it opened up at forty three and a half, and right. in the first like fifteen minutes, it's already gone to forty four. So yeah. some money coming in on the over early. So because you have to expect still, I mean, we know with USC, obviously they're flush with talent, and so if their backup quarterback has a good game, maybe they can score twenty eight. You know, 25, 24, 28 points. And then all you need from from Stanford there is to get to 17 or whatever. And boom, the over's there. So I agree with you. I, I mean, look, I'm not going <laughs> to. One thing I hate to do, and I do this a lot when I make picks, is I don't make the pick where I feel like I'm going to look the most stupid if it loses. You know what I mean? So if you bet the over in, in this game with two brand new quarterbacks and, and the under just crushes, it goes way under, then you f- end up feeling extra stupid, right? And I hate uh, it, it goes similar with bucking the trend, but you'd feel much more comfortable betting the under and then having it go over, right? Than, uh, than betting I'm the just, over. I don't know, Will. I'm wary with this game. advice we're giving out so, because usually it's those games where you are on edge where you win money. It's those games. Yeah. And that's the thing is 
I know what you're saying, and you don't want to take it where you go, God, I feel like an this idiot. This is strictly when I an ego myself. thing. Yeah. So it's like I'd, I'd feel a lot better with myself if I bet the under, knowing both the quarterbacks are out and they go over because it's unexpected, than if you go, well, everyone's going, you know, and then all of a sudden it, it, it's a 10 7 game, and you go, man, I feel so stupid. And I do right? lean under there for sure. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. I like that. I guess yeah. if, I, if I was going to bet this game, I'd probably take USC at home to cover those points. Just because I have more faith, I don't know a lot about Stanford's backup quarterback. I do have faith that USC has, at the very least, a lot of quarterback talent there behind them. That guy Sloven you were talking about it sounds yeah. like he's from Ukraine or something. <laughs> My guess is that he's probably pretty good if USC recruited him as a quarterback. Historically, they always have good quarterbacks, so I guess I pick USC there. But I don't, I don't love that bet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You have to give him the, his, the well, the nod because. USC's historical quarterback advantage, definitely, yeah. but we just don't know about either guy yet. You're right. So. Honestly, yeah, I mean, you're right. What we do know is both quarterbacks are out, so the under is a good pick there. All right, next up, Cincinnati, who we picked last week. Obviously, they come off the uh, the win against UCLA at home. Now they're on the road, 17-point dogs to Ohio State. Over-under here is 55 points, by the way. So since he comes off the win at UCLA, Luke Fickle now, he goes back home to Columbus for the first time coaching against them since he was an interim head coach for the Buckeyes. Cincinnati's strength is their defense, and they will be tested greatly against Justin Fields and the Buckeyes' explosive offense. We saw Ohio State jump to a ridiculous 28-0 lead in the first quarter against FIU, or excuse me, FAU, and then let off the gas. Now, Cincinnati no doubt has a much, much better defense than the Owls of Florida Atlantic, but Ryan Day has proven he's one of the best at game planning for a new defense and scoring early. So I see the Buckeyes getting out to an early lead and then maybe letting off the gas again. Ryan Day is not going to want to keep his foot on the gas and embarrass a Buckeye great like Luke Fickle. Also, when you look at Ohio State, one of their bigger question marks is depth at quarterback. So when they get up early in games, I think they're going to rest Justin Fields, go with the quarterback. To me, this game screams backdoor cover for the Bearcats. So what I want to look at, now the first half line hasn't come out yet. They are 17-point favorites, so I would expect that first half line to be right around 9.5 or 10. I would look at taking Ohio State uh, to cover the first half spread and then maybe Cincinnati to cover the backdoor uh, for the total. I mean, yeah, I, I like the Luke Fickle handicap there that he used to go to Ohio State. I didn't even realize that. That's yeah. a huge deal. He's he not going to want to. He played there. Him. He was a longtime defensive coordinator there, so he he knows that that uh, you know he's going to be comfortable coaching in the horseshoe. That's for sure. It just scares me that Ryan Day is going to want to get out and make a huge impression impression his first opening game. Um, well, he had one. Uh, or his, his first game. Uh, it's like the first big game. Isn't it? Uh, were they on the road last week? No, they were at home. Okay, so this will so. be his second game at home. Well, I mean, I, I still it think is that a he's big game, want, though. But look, in his first couple, in his first, I mean, oh, everyone's saying that Urban Meyer's out the door. Can Ryan Day? I know I was skeptical about Ryan Day. I think he's going to have a point to prove here just because of that. I mean, I mean it just scares me that I think Ohio State's going to. I I could honestly see. A forty-two to ten type of game here, Will. Interesting. Where they absolutely just, and I don't think it's necessarily has to do with them running it up in the second half. I could see maybe a thirty-five-seven first half, right? And, and where they just kind of take their foot off. Maybe each team gets a touchdown or something like that in the second. So I'm scared right now of Ohio State. I was gonna fade them early, and after seeing that Week One performance, I don't want to overreact too much. But having been so down on Ryan Day. Maybe I was ahead of myself. I was actually thinking about you watching the Ohio State game going, 
is this gonna scare Will? You know, what is he gonna oh, do yeah. now? Scares the shit out of him. Yeah, because he's really good. We don't know how good he is. And, and like last year with with uh, Lincoln Riley, my whole thing is how is that really gonna work again? It, it hasn't worked so much more than it has worked. If this guy ends up working out, who knows? Can you imagine if Jim Harbaugh loses to Ryan Day in his first year? <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring that we're up, Tyler. Come together, on, man. Right? We were having a good thing going uh, here. Yeah. No, but just for example, so last last week uh, on, on Saturday against FAU, Ohio State, I mentioned before, they went tw- they were up 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. They finished the game with only 17 more points. The final score, 45-21. to and so I think that they are going to let up the gas. I don't think he's going to play Justin Fields late into a game unless it's close. Because, look, man, if Justin Fields gets hurt, Ohio State's a completely different team. Their backup is a Kentucky transfer named Gunnar Hoke. We don't know a lot about him. What we can say for sure is that he's not Justin Fields. And so I do. I see this as being a textbook backdoor cover. So I'm gonna. What I will do is I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna give both bets here. I really like. Ohio State first half line, depending on where it's at. Don't go over 11, uh, but I like if I expect it to be right around nine and a half or 10. Take that, and then Cincinnati plus 17 for the game. The reason why I like that bet is there's really not a high percentage chance you're going to lose both. Right. Right. I'm, I mean, right now. Yeah. I mean, how how is Ohio? I mean, I guess maybe Ohio State. Uh, they're slow in the first half, and they come out and blow them out in the second half. That would I be just, the only way. I just don't see that as being super likely. Yeah, uh, no, no, I, I like that, and it's uh, yeah, I kind of like that. Will so okay. first half you're going Ohio um, State, Ohio State, and then for, the, for game, the game Cincinnati. That's not bad. Yeah, again, it just scares me because Ohio State right now, I think they could be just as good as they've always been. So for sure, shaking in my boots to bet against them, but I like that. Okay, fair enough. All right, next up. Army plus twenty three and a half at Michigan. What now, do you got for this one? I don't. I'm terrified do here? of this game. Okay, this game is a full blown trap game for Michigan. And if you don't know about Army, last year they go eleven and two. They took Oklahoma to overtime last year, almost won, which in the final score was twenty eight twenty seven. So Army, they love to grind out slow, long drives on offense and just bleed the clock. And if Michigan's, you know, Michigan's new offense, we saw a little taste of it last week against Middle Tennessee State. All it takes to be in trouble against Army is you have a couple quick three and outs, you know, maybe a drop here and there. You go three and out, Army goes on an eight-minute drive and scores, right? So that's all it takes. You have a couple quick three and outs, and suddenly this game is 10-7 at halftime. <laughs> this game is it, this is a trap game. Now, look, uh, Don Brown, Michigan's defensive coordinator, he said multiple times now that in all his spare time in the offseason, it's been spent on on prepping for the option. And they have he's played Air Force before. He's played option teams while at Michigan, and they've done fairly well. But Michigan's working with almost an entirely new defense this year. Last week against Middle Tennessee State, the defensive line looked vulnerable at times. I just don't like this game one bit for Michigan. I'm not picking Army to win this game, but forgive me, Michigan fans. I am taking Army to cover the spread here. I see What's Michigan winning. It's 23 and a half. Okay. And the over-under is only 48, by the way. So that kind of tells you how they think the scoring is going to go there. I could easily see Army scoring 21 or more points here. And if Michigan doesn't, if, if things aren't smooth and clicking on offense, I'm telling you, man, things can get out of hand when you play Army. All it takes is a couple bad uh, a couple bad possessions, and all of a sudden things are in scary, upset territory. So the over-under is 44? 48. 48. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, I just want to mention, we're getting out these lines. Today is Monday. We're, uh, we're recording this. Well, we haven't seen the Notre Dame-Louisville game, which is going to be played tonight. 
Uh, so we don't have anything on that. But uh, these lines will move. So if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday, the line is different. You have to be careful with how these lines move, right? If Army, if I'm giving you Army plus 23 and a half and that line dips down to 20, maybe we're talking a different thing here. If it goes up, then great, go with it. But these lines are subject to change. Just wanted to say that. Good stuff. Well, I, it's important to buy early too. So I would recommend listen early, get these games early, and uh, get the best prices. Yeah, we've seen some line movement already. So for our next game, Texas A&M at Clemson, it opened up uh, 17 points. Now it's already 18.5 in favor of Clemson. So the over-under here is 59.5. This is going to be one of the biggest games of the year. Last year, these teams played, and A&M took Clemson down to the wire. The Tigers ended up winning 28-26. And I think that helps this year because... The Aggies aren't going to be scared or intimidated by big, bad Clemson. They know they can play with them. And the Aggies, I think, have a top 10 defense. Jimbo Fisher is a is one of the best big game coaches in the whole nation. And not only that, he has a ton of experience against Davo Swinney and Clemson from his time in the ACC when he was head coach of Florida State. Kellen Mond for Texas A&M, he looked great last week. Now, it was just a tune-up game against Texas State, but he looked good. And then you look at the other side, Trevor Lawrence, uh, a Heisman favorite for Clemson, he, they, he struggled against Georgia Tech. He didn't look good. Travis Etienne, the running back, was doing the heavy lifting. Clemson's at home and rightfully a double-digit favorite, but 18 points is definitely a lot. I don't always love picking against Clemson. In a, this, you know, this is probably going to be one of the smallest uh, point spreads Clemson gets all year. They're probably going to be 20 or more uh, point spreads the whole rest of the year. But I think AM keeps it close. Maybe even upsets them, honestly. I, I I think this could be an upset game for Clemson. I, I I look at the same information you just presented and go the other way. Really? I think the close game last year helps Clemson because that woke, that's essentially waking them up, right? It's like Mike Tyson always used to say he needed to get punched once, right? If he was going to play, you know, box his best. I think that punch last year got to Clemson. All they're going to be talking about this week is, look what happened last year. They could have upset us. We're not going to let that happen again this year. It's in Death Valley, and it's a little motivational piece. Did you see that uh, yesterday on Sunday, Texas A&M, I don't remember his name, but uh, I think they're starting safety, or starting cornerback. One of the defenders came out and guaranteed the win. Oh, no, he yep, didn't. Yep, guaranteed the win. Gave, oh, gave, I hate it when players do I that. I know, I do what, too. Why do you and do I'm, that? I'm not a big fan of board material, but why even say That's something dumb. like that? Why it's really even? Dumb. You're going on the road. It was a close game last year. I don't have, and if there's one rule, you kind of mentioned this, Will. I have I have actually two rules in college football. Uh, it's the same rule in the NFL. I've Don't bet against Nick Saban. Don't bet against Davo Sweeney, and I don't bet against Bill Belichick. I know that seems square, but I just I just don't do it. I just put my money away, tuck it in my pocket. So I would like to argue here uh, and, and take Clemson. That's so many points. Texas A&M's a, a good points. team. I'm not confident to make that a bet, but if I had to, I mean, I think that Clemson, there's a good chance they blow A&M out here, man. Yeah, I mean, this is they only have like two or three games on their schedule they can even really get excited for. And right. This is the biggest one. There's no doubt. So you could say that, okay, this is the only game they have to get motivated for. But the thing that I look at, too, is that it's been a long time since anyone has been a repeat champion in college football, and Alabama is the most recent team to do it. There's a reason why when Ohio State won that championship uh, in 2015, they came back loaded the next year, and they ended up losing a couple games. I, I do think it's hard to motivate a bunch of 18- to 21-year-old kids to stay motivated when they've already made it to the top. Now, maybe Dabo is better at this. Obviously, we've seen them you know, be really good year after year, but early on in the year, I do wonder if they're going to have the same kind of 
you know, just excitement and fire for this game and, and, and a want to to win like Texas A&M will. I don't remember this, but last year, wasn't Texas A&M unranked when they played? Uh, Yeah, I think they were. Texas A&M's 13th this year. Well, Texas A&M was, was a, you know, they were a bad team before Jimbo Fisher got there. Sure. And then he, I think they only won five or six but, games last but, year, but, they, but he but turned them around quickly. Regardless of how intrinsically good they are, that number by the team helps those kids get excited, right? So when you're Clemson yeah. playing unranked Texas A&M, that's so much different than playing 13th ranked A&M. So I think that may help a little bit more. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just... It's, to Dabo, me, it's just... Man. For, it hasn't for Dabo two done really, really well in his career when he's been a heavy favorite? Uh... I don't know about that. I mean, they've only been really heavy favorites for the last few years. And in a lot of those games, you know, I mean, they're, it, yeah, they're heavy favorites against, uh, you know, when Virginia was bad or, uh, or some of these lower ACC teams. So I do wonder, I'm not sure about what his record against the spread when he's favored is. But what I will say is that 18 and a half points, and this number could even go up potentially, is a lot of points between two teams. And I, I think Texas A&M is a top 15 team. I'm not sure that their record will show at the end of the year because they play such a tough schedule. That's a lot of points, especially for two teams that played a very close game last year. Oh, well, um, I think, uh, yeah, go on. Sorry. Okay. No, that's it. That's I, all I, I got I, for okay. that one. I was actually looking up some stats here for Georgia Tech and Clemson, how Clemson has done as a uh, as a favorite. As a favorite, and it looks like... Yeah, they get a lot of big point spreads, man. I think people... And, and this not stat, easy to cover. This stat only goes back four games, but it says or excuse me, six games. It says two and four against the spread. Okay. And it's tough. Look, if there's one, if I'm always going to give a recommendation for one of these heavy games, take, I mean, the underdogs cover a, a lot more than people think. We yeah. saw that week one. We see that all the time in college football. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Next up, Tyler, this one's near and dear to your heart. Nebraska minus five road favorites at Colorado in Boulder over under 64 points here. Now, Tyler may disagree with me on this. I'm not sure. We haven't talked about this yet. I like Nebraska here. I'm always a little hesitant to pick a road favorite, but one thing I saw in that Colorado-Colorado State game from uh, Friday in week one is that I don't like CU's defense very much. Mel Tucker may be a defensive guy, their head coach, but they gave up some points to CSU last week, a team that doesn't have nearly the offensive firepower that the Huskers do. Uh, you know, Nebraska didn't look great either in their opening game, but... This is, you know, this used to be a really fierce rivalry when they were both Big 12 teams and Big A teams. This was a big rivalry. Last year, they played it in Lincoln. CU goes in, gets a win. It was a shootout. It was a great game. I think that Nebraska is the better team here. I think they're better on defense and on offense. I think I'm leaning Huskers here, but that being said, CU, they have an extra day to prepare. They played on Friday while uh, Nebraska played on Saturday and Boulder, tough place to play, the altitude and all that. What do you got on it, Tyler? Uh, there are a lot of question marks with this CU defense. And after watching both teams in the opening week, there seems to be, on the surface, more question marks with Nebraska. And that's not the case at all. When you dive into the stats, when you dive into how the game's unfolded, both Nebraska and CU ended up winning by a couple touchdowns. But how they got there was alarming if you're a CU fan, frankly. And as many of you know I am, it wasn't comfortable. It was essentially tied at halftime. And if you look at the talent level and where both teams should be performing, I'm sorry, but expectation was for CU to win by 13 and a half, 14 points. That's on track for about a seven-point lead at halftime. I expected CU to come out and, and dominate the first half. Very, very concerning uh, for, for CU fans there. 
Nebraska, as you mentioned, better offense, much better offensive weapons. They've got that huge tight end. I don't know his name. I call him Big Ugly. But he's, I mean, they're going to have to mark him down the field. They're going to get burned. I mean, I see time and time again. I see a lot of points actually being scored in this game. I do not feel comfortable at all uh, taking the buffs. Um, I'm not going to take Nebraska either because I think that Nebraska is one of the most overrated teams right now in the country. And we talked earlier, who's my overrated team uh, to start the show? Um, We were were talking about that. No. Uh, Uh, It was... um, This is killing me. Yeah, think about it. No, we were talking about um, Utah. Yes, Utah, Utah, Utah and, and, and how it's all about the value and right now where they are and, and where they're expected to be, so on and so forth. Well, Nebraska fits in that exact same category. Everybody across the country is talking about how good Scott Frost is going to be and the high expectations for, for Notre Dame, or excuse me, for, for Nebraska. I think that that first week was the chance for Nebraska to come out and make that statement and, and, and to show everyone, no, this is our year. We're going to, and it looked just like last season, if you ask me, where Nebraska won four games all year. I don't see them taking that huge step. I think everyone's waiting for Nebraska to be good. And I'm, I, look, I'm not stock up on CU. I'm not saying they look great by in the first week either, but. I'm not going to bet on Nebraska. That's certainly the case. If I had to lean one way, it would be with the over here. But it is worth noting that heavy, heavy money, conglomerate type money, millions of dollars came in the moment this game opened up. It opened up seven and a half in favor of Nebraska being the favorite. That got bet down to four and a half quickly. So that often tells me where the smart money is going. But that doesn't always guarantee a win. Look what happened last week. South Carolina moved sharp because all the smart money came in on them, and they ended up losing in embarrassing fashion. So the smart early money on Colorado doesn't mean much, though, once the game's played. But, Will, uh, I would lean over here. And the over there is 64, by the way. Yes, it Um, is. So, yeah, I like that. I think a lot of points are going to be scored for sure. Um, But, you know, this is just going to be – I'm excited to watch this game. I think that – Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault can probably feast on some of these Nebraska corners. But Nebraska, I, I like their quarterback more, Adrian Martinez. He's a stud. They have a slot receiver who is deadly. I mean, you really got to watch out for that guy. So the over 64 is probably where I'm leaning here too. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of points. Boulder's going to be very excited for this game. I mean, they haven't had a Nebraska game in Boulder in a long time. So they've so. been. I've seen all over Twitter Nebraska fans are talking about uh, a Boulder takeover. They've, they've been trying to buy up <laughs> CU tickets, and I saw CU came out with something. They're trying to keep all the tickets. I think that you could see a third of the stadium in red. Oh, I think there's going to be a lot of They have some of the best there. fans in the world. They travel really well. They travel to far places. What so. else is there to do in Lincoln? <laughs> exactly. Why do you think they're such good <laughs> fans? Well, corn. There's corn. Um, oh, all right. Don't get me started on corn, Will. Last but not least, this is the game day game. This is the biggest matchup of the weekend, in my opinion. Not so fast. <laughs> LSU versus Texas. This game is in Austin. LSU, another road favorite here. They're favored by four and a half points. This is the first time game day has been in Austin in 10 years, by the way. That's insane. Now, I'm a fan of Tom Herman. I'm a fan of Sam Ellinger, Colin Johnson, and the overall direction that Texas is heading in. I really think that he's the right hire and the right guy for the job. But I am down on them this year relative to the hype they're receiving, kind of like what you said about Utah and Nebraska. I still think they're a very good team, but relative to the hype they're getting, I don't think Texas is back, so to speak. So Texas is back, Will. (laughs) I know that Herman has been recruiting like a monster, but I don't like that they have only eight starters returning overall, and especially just three on the defense. And they had a very good defense last year. They only bring back three. They're uh, they're not great at making explosive plays on offense either. This is a crazy number. Uh, 
Last year, they had zero plays of more than 40 yards all season long. That's insane. Even against the cupcake teams they were playing. Zero plays, wow. 40 yards or longer. They're more of a power run, kind of grind it out team. And then Sam Ellinger makes the big throws here and there. I do like him a lot. But meanwhile, for LSU, they bring back 16 starters, eight on each side of the ball. The defense under Dave Aranda is just going to be more of what we've come to expect from LSU, which is one of the best defenses in the entire nation. But the defense isn't the reason why I'm so high on LSU this year. It's the offense. They're huge up front on the offensive line. Joe Burrow is back in his second year under center for the Tigers. And one of my favorite coaching additions across the whole country this offseason was they bring in this guy, Joe Brady, to be the passing coordinator. He was an offensive assistant for the New Orleans Saints previously. And apparently, when Coach O came calling with a half a million dollar offer, Sean Payton was pissed off about losing this guy, Joe Brady. Really? Yes. And I think he gives LSU's offense a new wrinkle that we've never seen under them before. You know, traditionally they've been a a power run team and the passing game has been kind of vanilla. Now I think you're going to see a lot more of that. We saw it a little bit in their opener, uh, which was against a cupcake team, but Joe Burrow had, I think, five touchdown passes in the first half. So I do, I will admit, I hate picking against Herman as an underdog. He's one of the best underdog coaches in the country, especially at home. But I just don't see how Texas is going to hold LSU to less than 28 points. And I'm not sure if the Longhorns can match that. I like LSU minus four, and I love the over. The over for this game is just 51 and a half. So I like LSU and the over there. I definitely side with LSU in this game. You did mention Tom Herman as an underdog, how well he does. He's really good. Especially when those games are at home. I'm very scared to fade that, but... I think this is the game where you see Texas's youth and inexperience come into play. I mentioned earlier they're the least talented team in the uh, all-power five in terms of returning uh, players on their team. I think that we see that magnified during this LSU game. I like the coaching uh, uh, hires in the offseason that you mentioned. And I just think the LSU is on that different level. They are an elite contender this year. I do believe they're a legitimate top 10 team. As to where Texas probably has a year to go to get to that level, um, scary stat, though, to go against with Tom Herman. Yeah, and I love Sam Ellinger. I mean, he, that dude is a, is a baller. He's so much fun to watch. A lot of times, like, the game is just on his shoulders, and he does really well with it. Uh, I just think that this LSU defense is going to feast on their offensive line and keep them from running the ball. What did you get for a line? Four and a half is what it was I'm this seeing, morning. I'm seeing now five. Okay. And it opened at three. So. Yeah, this line could be moving. So, honestly, I guess I like that number. I, I think LSU is going to win by a touchdown. So, I like that number up to six and a half. That may, that's, I'm sure, reckless from a professional gambling standpoint like you have, Tyler. But I think LSU wins by a touchdown. And I wonder if the under-over is going to move as well because I really I think they're going to go over 51 and a half. You know, not to get too conceptual here, but that's a widely debated point in football. Now, you always, it's always about the half points, but it's crazy how much value, and like you said, six and a half, obviously, working around key numbers. It's it's crazy how much value there really is in between six and a half and seven compared to a five and a half and six. Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's yeah, yeah. So while half points do matter... You know, if you think it's going to be, if you're projecting it to be a huge blowout, you know, maybe it is worth it. But it's just tough, I think, that for some people when you could get it at three. Like the CU game, when I saw that open at seven and a half, and then when I, you know, go to the books and it's four and a half, right. it's an automatic no play. Yeah. Well, so. I'm excited for this LSU-Texas game. I've seen a game, a Texas game in Austin before. It's a great environment. It's electric. I actually had a chance to go to this game. My uncle who lives in Austin offered me, he called me just a couple weeks ago and he said, hey, I have an extra ticket if you can make it down. Unfortunately, I just couldn't, I couldn't make the time for it to fly down there. And so I'm pretty bummed about that. So this is going to be a big one. I think you're going to see, uh, it's going to be a really uh, great 
game day environment. I think so too. It, uh, game day is always nice, man. Yeah, and they they try and get to different areas, different places they haven't been to. I yeah. like game day. Do you watch it anymore? I used to watch it all the time. I don't always watch it, but I try to. The reason why is because I just love to pause on my DVR and read the sign. So I tweeted out from <laughs> from the from our Twitter account at CFB Weekly just a few days ago what my favorite game day signs were from this weekend yeah. and the, the game day signs are like the best part like they no are. i'm not as entertained by lee corso and kirk herbstreet anymore as i was a while ago and desmond howard is just like the the worst representative for michigan he's crazy <laughs> all he does is laugh at things that aren't funny it drives me insane but i love seeing the signs in the background all the crazy fans so i'm excited to see what what they have in store for austin I do have uh, one more bet that I can get out there. Okay, um, what do you got? It is, and I don't know the line yet, but Utah is a 23-point favorite hosting Northern Illinois. Uh, Northern Illinois has gotten a lot of public money the last couple of years. People seem to like taking them as an underdog. And Utah, even though I am fading them overall, I like them in the first half to come out and make a statement at home. Should open up around 13.5, maybe 14 with the 23. I don't think I don't see it being above 14. 14.5 uh, or above, I don't like it. But if you can get it two touchdowns or less, like Utah first half this weekend against a Northern Illinois uh, with a spread. Sweet. So All right. Will. That's it, man. Right. That's, that's the show for week two. Make sure you guys listen. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Tune in anywhere you can find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CFB Weekly. We'll see you next week.